if you will, turn in your Bibles to the book of uh, Obadiah as we continue our study through the Word. So Obadiah, just a very short book, one of the minor prophets, and we have the major prophets and the minor prophets. Now, the major and minor prophets, they're not divided based upon their importance or their significance or their achievements or accomplishments. They're divided by the amount that they wrote. The major prophets, they, they wrote large books. The minor prophets wrote small books. And so here we have the book of Obadiah, just a single chapter. Now, Obadiah, we don't really know much about Obadiah. So oftentimes it will begin with Obadiah, son of, and you know the lineage, and, and we gain information uh, about them. But once again, this is a, a letter that we have, a book that we have where uh, Obadiah doesn't give us a, any additional information. There, there's 12 different Obadiahs in the Bible, and we're not sure if it's any of those uh, 12 whatsoever. So here's what we know. It's by Obadiah. That, that's what we know. Now, Obadiah, the name means a worshiper of Yahweh, a worshiper of God. So in that sense, we're all Obadiahs, are we not? Huh? Are you a worshiper uh, of God? And so he was passionate about God, loved God, was willing to uh, obey God. And so God calls him now to to write prophetically this this book that we have in front of us now what's interesting about this book is that it really is directed towards the judgment of one of israel's arch enemies you know as you read and study the old testament you know the perennial different enemies that they had that they battled with the, the philistines and the moabites and all but the edomites were another one of their arch enemies and so this book is directed towards the the Edomites. Now, there is going to be a reference uh, here to an event that took place. When Nebuchadnezzar comes in, it's about 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he destroys the, the temple raises the uh, the compound and uh, of the palace and and the temple and and we see that one he comes and and crushes the 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 Israelites we see that the edomites not only did they not help when the Babylonians came in and crushed the city, but they actually aided in the destruction and then they expressed their absolute delight in the Israelites' destruction and in their fall. Now, you remember that God says that I will bless those that bless my people and I will bring judgment against those that, uh, that are wicked or evil to my people. And so here you have the Edomites, you know, dancing on the misfortunes of the Israelites. And, and in Psalm 137, Edom is identified when it says, Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it to its very foundations. And, and so here we see that this is now you know, written against and towards the, uh, the Edomites. We see that the real sin of the Edomites is this book is going to kind of uncover and is going to point to is one of uh, great 
pride and arrogance. We see that, you know, that, that feeling superior to others. And, and so oftentimes that pride and arrogance leads to mistreating those that are beneath you, that you leverage opportunity whenever you have it. And so here we see that the taking advantage of, uh, of others and, and we see that Obadiah is also kind of a, 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 a visual representation of Proverbs 16, 18, which says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before uh, a fall. So uh, we jump in here to the first verse of Obadiah. And it says the vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord. And a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us rise up against her for battle. So Obadiah's book here is prophecy is really you know unique in the fact that it doesn't really deal with Israel or with Judah, but we see that instead it is focused on Edom and the judgment that was going to come against Israel. The Edomites. Now, who are the Edomites? When, when you see Edom and the uh, Edomites, well, uh, we see that this goes all the way back to the patriarchs. You have Abraham and Isaac, and then you have Jacob. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Isaac is the second of the patriarchs. And uh, you'll remember how the Holy Spirit goes and gets a bride for Isaac and, and comes back with Rebekah. And Rebekah marries uh, Isaac and, and they end up then with, uh, with child. Uh, Rebekah was with child. And you remember that there was great violence uh, in her womb and she was pregnant with twins. And these two twins were just, you know, warring inside of the, inside of the womb. And, and you'll remember that the firstborn out, we see that he was Esau. And, and only moments later, out comes Jacob. And when Jacob is born, you know, Esau comes out first, but Jacob has a hold of his foot, you know. And as, you know, Esau comes out, Jacob comes out, you know, holding his foot. And so Jacob means heel catch. You know, and so uh, we see that, you know, that these two now uh, grow up. But we see that this is the first real uh, family dynamic dysfunction that takes place that we see in the Bible. We see that Jacob and, uh, and Esau were now parental favorites. We see that Isaac uh, loved Esau, and that was his favorite. And Esau was a hunter. He was an adventurer. He was someone that liked the great outdoors. And, you know, and that just kind of resonated with uh, Isaac. And, you know, and, and Jacob kind of had a different temperament. He was more of the lay around the house and read books kind of guy. And, uh, you know, and so gravitated more towards mom and so mom had her favorite in the family and you know and, and Isaac had his favorite and and so these two sons now are growing up as twins and and 
Each of the parents now is showing this incredible favoritism, which now causes a, a great gulf, a great rift between the two. And so, you know, Esau is born for, first. And so, you know, he's got the double blessing for being the, the, the oldest and then also the, the patriarchal blessing now that would come through where God had promised to Abraham that through his sons, the offseed, you know, that the promise was going to come, the Messiah was going to come. And so he, you remember through Isaac and now, you know, it would have gone through Esau. The patriarchs would have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau had it been the, the firstborn. And that is the way that, you know, typical in those cultures that that blessing went. But you'll remember that, uh, that uh, Esau had been out in a hunting and Jacob is uh, home and he's cooking and he cooks this pot of stew and Esau comes in and and Esau is famished and he's impetuous and he's youthful and he tells his brother to give him a bowl of the stew because he's dying and and Jacob says to him well you know give me your birthright and and Esau you know that was the spiritual you know birthright and, and firstborn and Esau says what good is a birthright if I'm dead you know and so you're gonna have it give me a stew I'm dying here and so you know he trades him the, his his birthright for a bowl of stew and uh, and so you know they continue to grow forth and Isaac now knows that he's approaching death and so he says to Esau you know go and get me my favorite game go hunting and catch me something and bring it back and prepare it just the way I like it and it's time for me to bless you to to give him now the patriarchal blessing and and so Rebecca is nearby and she hears that but Rebecca wants that blessing to go to Jacob and not to Esau Isaac wants it to go to Esau and so when Rebecca hears that you'll remember that she now conspires with Jacob to to get this blessing on to Jacob and and to deceive Isaac and and so a, a collusion is formed the mom tells him to go out and to get one of the animals and put the skin of goat on your arm because Esau was very hairy and Jacob was was smooth and she cooked the meal just the way that uh, that she knew that Isaac, Isaac liked it and and so Jacob has to go in and pretend that he's Esau with this dish and so you know uh, Isaac is eyes are failing and he's frail and old he feels and you know he's like, you don't feel like he, it's 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 Esau dad you know and and all and here's the uh, the porridge and and bless me and so he he blesses them and, and gives them the patriarchal blessing now and and so Jacob receives that and out and he goes and you know, and in comes and now Isaac and, you know, he's ready for his blessing and, and suddenly now discovers that that he's been had and that the blessing has already been passed on to Jacob. And and from that minute on, we see that the division between these two obviously intensifies. Isaac purposes now... Esau purposes in his heart that 
the minute that Isaac is dead, so is my brother. <laughs> and that he is going to murder his brother. He, he will not do it while his dad is alive so that his dad doesn't suffer that, that loss, but he's going to kill him. And, and so uh, Rebecca, now knowing that Jacob needs to depart, sends him to you know, uh, her uncle Laban, and off he, he heads her to, her to her brother Laban and his uncle, and, and off Jacob goes. And, and so there is this you know, incredible you know, hatred Esau towards it and Jacob and, and this division. And this is an, an unsettled division between the two of them and goes on for decades. And, and finally, you know, Jacob comes back into the territory and brings his children and wives and the blessings of the Lord. And, and he sends forth a peace offering and, and tries to make a peace treaty with you know, with Esau, and, and they come to a, a tenuous agreement. It's, it is a superficial, but it holds. But, but the descendants, they do not buy into the peace treaty, and that hatred that, uh, that had been sowed into them all of those years, it continues. And so Esau's descendants, the Edomites, they head south uh, uh, of where Israel is today, out towards the, uh, the desert and the Transjordan area. And they are a rough and tough people, and they're a godless people. It's not that they adopted the, the, the gods of the pagans uh, that were around them. They were just self-reliant and self-sufficient and absolutely proud and, and godless. And, and throughout the history of, uh, of Israel, is now the children of Israel go into Egypt. And, and when Moses brings them out, uh, he is bringing them and leading them, and he comes to to the Edomites, and he wants to pass through the land to where God is bringing him and showing him where the, uh, the promised land is. And the Edomites will not let them pass through. <laughs> they will not let God's people pass through. And, uh, and so they have to go around. And, and, and on and on, the, the battles between the Edomites and the, uh, and the Israelites uh, continue this terrible grudge uh, between them. And uh, and so uh, it goes all the way through the, the various different world powers, through the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and, and the Edomites are still around. Alexander the Great you know, conquers them, and, and then the Babylonians, and, and ultimately they continue all the way to the time of the Romans. And you know, what's interesting is King Herod, King Herod is the last of the Edomites. And we see that, you know, he wasn't Jewish. He was descendants were, you know, the Edomites who always had this hatred, you know, with the Jews. And so Herod was appointed by the Romans to be, you know, the king over the Jews. And, and so he, he was always, you know, concerned about, you know, the, the rebellion against him and the rejection of him and, and, and was always assassinating 
executing his wives and his sons, and, and he was always, you know, uh, always paranoid about everything. He's the, he's the last of the Edomites. The, the Edomites in, the, uh, in, in AD 70, when, uh, when Titus and his army come in, the Edomites stand the last of the Edomites stand with the Israelites and Titus basically wipes them uh, out except for uh, a few that escape and, and that is the end of the, of the Edomites. The language, the people, uh, all of it is lost and they are erased uh, from the, the face of the earth. And, and so here we see this perennial you know, enemy uh, of the of the Israelites, we see in this verse that that now that that a messenger is sent, and the messenger is sent by the Lord to the nations, and the messenger is calling the nations to come against the the Edomites. That God is the one that is bringing now the the judgment against these Edomites, and so arise and. And let us rise up against her for um, battle. Uh, and so Origen, who was the third century uh, A.D., wrote of the Edomites as a people whose name and language are now removed from, uh, from history. What God had told Obadiah in this vision here we see came true. Behold, he says, verse 2, I will make you small, among the nations, and you shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. And you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? And though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there, I will bring you down, says the Lord. So here we see that Obadiah gives the report now from the Lord announcing that God is going to bring the nations against Edom in, in battle. And God is going to make Edom small among the nations and they are going to be greatly despised. And, and he says why. He gives them the charge. They are filled with pride. And that pride, that, that puffing up, it's deceived them. And pride is deceptive. That, that is one of the, uh, the problems with pride. It, it makes us think things about ourselves and, and gives us an exalted view of self and it gives us a diminished view of others. It's a lens through which we can't see clearly when, when we are looking through the lens of, uh, of pride. It's like bifocals where you have a, a magnification of yourself but everybody else, you have a diminished view of them. And, and so this was the, the issue now. This was the heart of the, uh, of the Edomites. He says, you know, you who dwell in the clefts uh, uh, of the rock. Uh, and, and so they lived in, in very mountainous territory across the, uh, the Transjordan and down into the uh, the south, we see that they lived in in a city that was carved into the the rock. The access into this city was uh, roughly a mile long, 
and it was a canyon on both sides. And so you had to come through this mile-long canyon into the, uh, the city that has been carved uh, there into the, the stone. And so it, it sits about 3,800 feet above sea level. And, and so uh, there up uh, in, the, in this high height, this is why it is said that that up where the eagles uh, dwell. Uh, and so we see here that, uh, that they were really, you know, the embodiment now uh, of, of godlessness, of, of this self-sufficient, I don't need God, and that opposition to the things uh, of God. And so, you know, today we see the secular humanists and we see the materialists uh, who just you think of themselves and, and of their own sufficiency and, and they're accountable to nobody uh, except uh, to themselves. And, and so, you know, here we see. So Petra was their capital in the city. And if you ever see the the... Petra still today it's over across the Jordan you can go there and and visit it and and we have visited it before as we on our Israel trips we made a a side pass and it is a it, just an impressive impressive place but it was virtually you know so hard to capture you know Petra because it's so easy to defend it where the troops have to come in this mile long canyon where you can just be up on top of that and can just defend it so they just felt that they had this impregnable capital fortress city there and and so here we see that that you sit there and you say who can bring us down but God says I will bring you down. If thieves had come to you, verse 5, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? And if great gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Here, Obadiah is going to describe Edom's complete destruction. And he is going to do that by contrasting it to partial destruction. He, he says, if robbers come into your house, they take a lot of stuff and then they depart. But they don't take every single thing and they don't take your house, you know, with them as well. You lose some stuff, your destruction is, it's bad, but it's not complete destruction. He says that, you know, when the farmers come and they pick their crops, there, there is always the leftover gleanings that are there, you know, that are left behind. And, and so here we see that God is going to tell them that, that the destruction that is coming is going to be complete destruction. You would have wished that you had just had robbers or that it had been like someone had gleaned uh, your farms. He says in verse 6, Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasures shall be sought uh, after. And, and so this progression uh, of judgment we see begins you know, with the lament of, you know, oh, how Esau shall be, uh, shall be searched out. And, and so it kind of just expresses that, oh, expresses kind of shock and kind of expresses amazement here. It says, all the men in your confederacy, 
shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. And those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. And no one is aware of it. And so Edom's confederacy or their, their friends are going to turn uh, against her. The army is going to be deceived. It's going to be lured out of the stronghold. And, and then the treacherous Edomites, they are going to experience treachery themselves. And, and so the Lord of, of the nations is able to turn nations against one another. And so how interesting, you know, you watch the news and you see the conflicts between nations. But know this that God can turn a nation against uh, another nation. He can turn enemies against uh, one another. And, uh, and so part of his judgment, uh, he says in verse 8, Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty men, O Temen, shall be dismayed. To the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. So here in verse 8, will I not in that day? Everything in, in which Esau had prided itself in was going to be cut down. Every single thing that, that they now were puffed up over is going to be removed uh, from her. The resources of the, uh, of the land, the treasures are, are going to be taken. The security and their friends, they are going to experience that treachery. And now we see even the, the wise men as well. Now, Temen was one of the chief cities of Edom. It's about five miles to the east of Petra. And, and the Edomites were known for their reputation for wisdom. But here we see that God is going to break their pride and God is going to judge them and bring them low. For, your, for violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. And in the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. And so here we see the shame of Edom. And so Edom is the brother of, of Jacob for the violence against uh, your brother Jacob. And so here we see that this made Edom's sin uh, all the worse, that this was a brother. And so you should have stood with your brother. You should have stood for your brother. You should have aided your brother. But instead, we see here that in the day that you stood on uh, on the other side, the, the Edomites didn't lift a hand to help when the, the Israelites were carried off into exile. And, and so the Babylonians cast their lots for the spoils of the, the city. And, and it says, and even you were as a, one of them. 
And so they gleefully looked on and, and they aided in the looting of the city. They, they took part uh, in the looting. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. And, and so here we see the downward spiral. The, first of all, the, the looking down, uh, the misfortune of, uh, of his brother. We see that there, there was this gazing, there was this looking down upon them, and then there was rejoicing. They were rejoicing over Judah's destruction, and then they were speaking proudly now. They were boasting uh, of the trouble of Israel. And that word for boast means to make your mouth uh, large, but it's, it is an expression for arrogance, just the, the arrogance, no compassion whatsoever, no empathy, no help, no aid. You should not have entered the gate of my people. And so here we see that Edom comes in and loots <laughs> Jerusalem and, uh, and aids. In the day of their calamity, indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. And you should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. And so we see that Edom's crime goes way beyond just standing there as a spectator and, and watching as the Babylonians uh, captured and, and destroyed them. We see that there was, you know, participation. They gloated over the, the captivity because remember that they were, you know, these brothers that had this sibling rivalry, but this intense hatred. And so now they're happy that, uh, that Israel is being decimated and, and is being captured. And so, you know, uh, here they have this wrong uh, attitude and the wrong attitude ends up with sinful actions that, that followed. And so, we see that, that he says that you should not have stood at the crossroads. And, and so when the Babylonians were destroying the city and the people were fleeing out, it was uh, there that the Edomites uh, were now encountering and, and they were giving them over to the enemy as, as prisoners or they were killing them and participating. They were cutting off those who had escaped. And, and so, verse 15, for the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. And as you have done, it shall be done to you. And your reprisal shall return upon your own head. And so, here we see that Edom now becomes just an illustration, a typology of uh, of nations that rebel in arrogance against God. The day of the Lord really refers to the time that God judges the, the world. We see God's judgment are going to uh, take place at the end of the great tribulation and, and at the return of Jesus Christ as he comes in glory. 
And also we are going to see the day of the Lord as the nations are judged, as the millennial reign is established and, and set up. And so Edom's humiliation really just kind of foreshadows what the Lord is going to do to all the nations who mistreat the nation of Israel. And the justice now that God doles out, look at the justice. We see it's a simple justice. As you have done, it shall be done to you. We see no more and no less. What they did to the people of Judah is also going to be done to them. And so the same principle is true for us as well. We see that God calls us to forgive others. And he calls us to forgive others because we ourselves uh, have been forgiven. And if we are going to withhold forgiveness, then, then forgiveness is going to be withheld from us. And, and we see this principle over and over in the, in the scriptures that uh, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so this, this principle of loving others and God brings the, the judgment Upon their own head, the judgment with which they judged others is the standard by which they themselves are going to be judged. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they never had been. And so here we see that you know, God's judgment against the, the Edomites, we see that that really is a fulfillment of that promise back to Abraham, back to chapter 12, where God says, I'll bless those that bless you and I'll curse him who curses you. And so we see the Edomites were the people that cursed Israel. And so what happened? That they were cursed. And so... I think it's as important as ever for our nation to be blessing the nation of Israel. You know, the United States has always been the, the greatest friend to the nation of Israel. And there is no doubt in my mind that God is honoring the, the promise to Abraham that he will bless the nations that, that bless my people. And, uh, and so I am always concerned if our foreign policy begins to wane in support of the nation of Israel because I believe that you know that that God's blessing has been upon our nation in part because of God's promise to Abraham here we see Edom is on the other side of that of that blessing and I would hate for our nation to slide from from one side to the other side by uh, by their treatment of the nation of Israel in verse 17 but on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions and so yes the Israelites are going to go into captivity and God is judging them for their sins and for their apostasy but God has not cut off the nation of Israel God has a future and a plan for the nation. He did back then, and guess what? He still does today. God still has a future and a plan for the nation of Israel. And that is why Israel is so exciting to 
watch what's going on over in the nation of Israel. Right now, what is uh, happening in Israel is there is a tremendous messianic Christian movement that is going on in the nation of uh, Israel. And more and more Jews are opening up their hearts to Jesus as the Messiah. And, and it is uh, interesting, this, this awareness and this, this welcoming of Jesus, whereas before uh, Jesus' name over there was just met with closed ears, but, but now there is just a shift that is uh, going on uh, over in that nation. And so, uh, so exciting as we are nearing the, uh, the end times, as the return of Christ keeps getting closer and closer and, and closer as we just watch the news. I mean, the, the watching of the news is just so interesting as you are seeing the, the interconnectivity of the nations, as, as you are seeing this one world government, just kind of the foundations of it are, are being laid even right now the system for the antichrist the ability for a global economic system that you wouldn't be able to buy or sell unless you were uh, were a part of that i, I want to show you how easy that could take place right now if the antichrist mm, took over cryptocurrency and, and if and if if the entire world then had to make its monetary exchanges uh, in cryptocurrency, then every single individual nation's money would need to be converted into cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency would do the exchange and then back into the uh, currencies. And without your ability to enter into the cryptocurrency market, uh, no transaction couldn't be made. And boom, I mean, instantly in, in 10 minutes of reprogramming international computers, we could be into a one world monetary system because of the, uh, of the cryptocurrency and the digital currency now that transcends governments. See, one of the big issues is with cryptocurrency is there's no government control over it. So governments are, uh, are not happy about not having control over this asset currency that is not underneath them. But we see that it's worldwide now and it's held and traded in 24 hours a day and seven days a week, 365 days a year. And so, you know, all of this is, is just the infrastructures that are now knitting the world together in a way that they've never been knitted together before. And, and all of this now just creating the backdrop for the events that are going to uh, take place. And and so uh, we see here that, you know, that there, the promise here, Obadiah ends, you know, with this glorious promise uh, to Israel and of the promises of Israel. And as the nation is taken into captivity and there are the Edomites just dancing and celebrating over what they think is victory over their enemy. It's like, we're through with them. We're finally done. We win. <laughs> and God says, no, you don't. <laughs> he says, there in a timeout, uh, you are going to be removed from the scene. They were my chosen. You were supposed to bless them, and you didn't bless them. And in your arrogance and in your pride, you mistreated them. And you thought that there would be no consequences. You thought that there would be no consequences. The arrogance of that. It is interesting to me when you share with people about heaven and hell, and, and they say, well, I just don't believe in hell. 
And I think to myself, but that's so arrogant. <laughs> you know, just because you don't believe it doesn't mean that it isn't real and it isn't true. And it's like, you know, I just will deny its existence. <laughs> but you're not going to be able to deny its existence when you're in hell. And that is the tragic part here. They, they thought they won. There is the nation of Israel being carted off and we've been fighting against these guys forever and now they lose. And, uh, and God says, no. I'm judging them and they're going to go for a time out, but you know what? I still have a plan and a purpose for them and I'm going to bring them back into their land and I'm going to reestablish them once again. And, and so we see this, you know, the final triumph here, the Obadiah, you know, ends with this. Not only is Edom going to be judged, but, you know, when he's writing this, you know, Edom is in the pinnacle and we see that, you know, that the nation of Israel is battered and, and in captivity and, and beat up. And here we see is the, the promise from God that what he had promised to Abraham was true yesterday, today, and, and forever. God never changes. His word never changes. And there may be moments in time where you think, oh, God's word is failing. Guess what? God's word never fails. Amen. God's word never fails. It never fails. You know, it might look like it. And, you know, in all of the hero movies, you know, where, you know, the heroes on the train tracks and tied and here comes the, the train. These are really old superhero movies. Okay. Like really old and smoke is coming out and the train's coming and it just looks like, you know, it looks like the, this is the end. And then, and then they would stop and you'd have to wait till next week. There was no binge watching when I was growing up, you know, but the superheroes, you know, and, and that moment when you just think it's, it's all lost and then there's this last second. Well, God's word is like that in your own life. It can look like time is running out. God, you didn't show up. Everything is lost. And, you know, and, and yet the reality is, is God wins. God always wins. God's word always wins. And, and that's why it's that sure rock that you can build your life upon. And here was this example, you know, where the Edomites are celebrating. It's like, it doesn't look like Israel's losing. They've lost. <laughs> they, they've been taken into captivity. Their land is destroyed. Their temple has been burned to the ground. We win. And God says, not so fast, rug pull, down go the Edomites, and, and the nation of Israel will once again be reestablished and will be rebuilt. And so today, regardless of where your life is and where you feel like, oh my gosh, you know, you can identify with the Israelites, what, you know, what has happened, and, and you may be facing just uh, unsurmountable obstacles that are in front of you. Do not give up. Do not let your heart faint. Hold on by faith to the truth of God's word. God will never let you down. God will never uh, let you down. And so, but on Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance. You know, Obadiah is writing this as, you know, you can see the smoke from the temple and it's just in ashes and heaps. And where's the deliverance? Where's the deliverance? And, 
And by sight, they couldn't see the truth of the words that, that Obadiah is being instructed to, to write. There shall be deliverance. There shall be holiness. And the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. What are their possessions? The promises of God. And so we see here that, you know, their, their apostasy resulted in the punishment of the fall in Jerusalem of 586 B.C. But we see that, <laughs> that there shall be holiness when Zerubbabel in 537 B.C. returns and, and when the temple is rebuilt in 515 B.C. and consecrated and sacrifices are once again uh, offered in Jerusalem. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame, but the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Interesting that, that the last known Edomite was Herod. And we see the destruction of Herod and the perishing, the very fulfillment of, uh, of Obadiah here. The south shall possess the mountains of Esau, and the lowland shall possess Philistia. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And, uh, and so Obadiah is looking forward to that day when Israel is going to uh, occupy and possess the land that, that once belonged to, to Esau. And the captives of this host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. The captives of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the south and then saviors shall come to Mount Zion. Saviors means judges. Then judges shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And so we see here the various different mm, captives now. The Jews who were in, in captivity are going to come forth now and they are going to take possession of these in the cities uh, here. And, and the Edomites uh, seem to have their day against God's people, but mm, we see at the end of it all, the kingdom shall be the Lord's. God knows how to take care of his people and how to advance his kingdom in a glorious uh, way. In the millennium, the kingdom is going to belong to the Lord. Jesus Christ is going to sit upon the throne of David. He will rule in righteousness from Jerusalem, and Jerusalem will be the center of the earth. Jesus Christ uh, is going to reign, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. We see as God reigns over the, uh, the nations, as the Lord is going to rule over, we see that uh, he raises up and he takes down nations. He used Edom and he used Babylon to execute his judgment on Jerusalem. Remember, that was God's judgment on in Jerusalem. But um, afterwards, the, uh, we see that 
that those nations were judged for breaking God's uh, word where he had promised that anybody that does harm to his people is going to uh, answer to him. And so here we see that, you know, the kingdom is the Lord's. This is that confession of faith for each and every one of us that, you know, that Christ rules and reigns in our heart, that we are completely surrendered and submitted to the, the Lord. And so this short book of Obadiah kind of brings forth a, a, an important message. It shows what happens to those that reject God's word, that reject God's grace, that rebel, that are puffed up by pride. We see that, you know, the, the verse in Galatians chapter 6, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he is going to reap. If you know that to be an absolute truth in your life, then navigate accordingly. So love, so love, and you're going to reap love in your life. And so Jesus called us to love our neighbors as ourselves, love God and love others. So love, learn how to love. What does love look like in this situation, in this relationship, in this moment, in this time? God's called us to love everybody even all the way to our enemies, to learn how to love them. This is something that the Edomites never did. Their enemy were the Israelites. And had they learned to love them, God would have blessed them. But instead, they judged and came against them, and instead that judgment fell upon themselves. By the same standard you're going to judge others, you are going to be judged. And so... Here again, God is the one, he says, that I am the one that will avenge, I will repay. And so we see that when we respond in obedience to the grace of God, then we see the abundance of the blessing. But we see that a person who spurns the word of God, we see that he spurns the grace of God and he turns in his own pride away from God, he ends up losing everything. And so the book of Obadiah is such a, a short but powerful reminder that God is in control, that God wins, <laughs> and that we are called to love one another. Let's pray. Father God, you're so good. And we just thank you in the way that you just teach us over and over and over again the simplicity of the gospel, that you love us, that you are in control, and that you have forgiven us of every sin by your Son who came to rescue us, who is Lord over all, and who will rule and reign in righteousness, beginning first in our hearts by faith. And then he will return physically to this earth, and he will rule in righteousness. And so, Father, bless us, help us to continue to learn how to love, what it looks like, 
in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, in every situation, in every circumstance. Help us to love people that don't deserve our love. Help us to forgive people that don't deserve our forgiveness. God, we ask that you would teach us to reflect your heart because we don't deserve to be loved and we don't deserve forgiveness. But yet, by your grace, you shower us with it. And so may we shower others with your love and with your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.